0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So we're uh, talking. We're doing a series on the Christian in the city, and just um, recognizing that as Christians who live in a city, there are um, specific um, challenges and opportunities that we face and that that are that are slightly different from. Uh, Christians elsewhere. So um, today I want to, I actually wanted to entitle my, my sermon Growing in the City, because that was what I was focused on, but we, we're working from Jeremiah 29, the first couple of verses, and that word prosper came up um, over and over, um, you know, and, and so I entitled my, my sermon Prosper in the City. How do you prosper in the city? How do you live a good life? Um, a flourishing life in the city, because uh, there are things that you can get away with on uh, in other places that you won 't get away with in the city and and many people who come to the city they were flourishing before they came to the city, but then after they come to the city, they struggle it 's difficult and, and often they struggle with their relationship with god specifically so so how do we deal with that? how do we um, prosper and flourish in our relationships, Uh, well, well, in everything, in life in general, but including certainly our relationship with God. Uh, I don't know if you want to bring up the picture of our family. Um, There's our our little family. As you can see, we have beautiful kids, not my fault. (laughs) Despite my best efforts, my kids turned out really beautiful. Um, my wife, I had some help. My wife. My wife helped me with that. She's. She's got the looks. <laughs> so I want to read us uh, a, a sermon from uh, a, a portion from Jeremiah 29. I'm, I'm going to read from this 1 to 14, and I'm going to um, later on throw in a few other scriptures as well. But uh, I'm going to skip a few verses here and there. It says this is the text of the letter the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then in verse 4, it says, it said, the letter said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry And have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, this place being Jerusalem. For I... Know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. And then verse 19 says, For they, speaking of the... um, the Jews who stayed behind in, in Judah and Jerusalem, for they did not listen to my words declares the Lord words that I sent to them again and again by my servants the prophets and you exiles have not listened either declares the Lord so just three things that I um, want to mention about prospering how to prosper in the city notice that the, the, the there's a sort of a snapshot of how God wants their life to be in Babylon, to be in the city. And just three things I want to highlight from that. Notice that the, the life that prospers is a balanced life. It's, it's sort of holistic, okay? It's, it's also a planned life. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. And thirdly, it's a seeking life, okay? So let me just say a few things about um, those three Three points notice, and I and I mentioned this last time, you know the, the Israelites were taken into captivity and they settled sort of on uh, the river bank outside of Babylon and um, didn't want to go in the city and 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 become part of the city, and God said to them, no, listen and and, and they obviously encouraged their prophets to tell them the Lord says you know within Less than two years, the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar will be broken and you will be, uh, you know, freed from captivity and you'll go back to Jerusalem. Because that's what they wanted to hear, okay? And then God says through, through Jeremiah, no, it's going to be long. There's going to be time, if you're not married, for you to get married and to have children. And for your children to get married and to have children. It's going to be a few generations. It's going to be 70 years, actually, that you're going to be here in Babylon. I want you to stay here. And, and we spoke about the fact that, that God actually, last time, um, and you can listen to this on uh, YouTube or on the, on the podcast if you missed it, but how God sent them to the city. How it was God who sent them to the city. Even though Nebuchadnezzar was the one who took them into exile, twice in the letter God says, I carried you. I sent you to the city. Live in the city as though I sent you there. Okay? And also live there for the benefit of Babylon. After 70 years have been completed for Babylon, then you'll be taken back. So uh, live as a witness. But um, he says three things specifically. He says build houses and settle down, plant vineyards and eat from them, uh, get married, you know, uh, start families and, and, and raise children, basically. And notice the balance that God commands them to do in their lives there. The, the prospering life. Uh, includes all of these different things. There's acquiring property, building stuff, building out society, adding, you know, being constructive in society, adding things of worth to society, and and even for yourself. I mean, build the houses for yourself, living them, settling them. So so, you know, part of it is is that commercial, constructive part of living where. Where you, you build things, you do th- things, you, you make things, you, you build houses, you settle in them. Create space for yourself and for your family to live in. Okay? And, and, and God commands them to do that. Secondly, he says plant, plant gardens and eat from them. Work. Work is a part of the prospering life in the city. So often we as Christians look at work and we say, oh, you know, work is part of God's curse, you know. Isn't that what, what, what Genesis says, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, they, they sinned and then, you know, it says thorns and thistles shall the earth produce for you and all that kind of stuff. No, actually, if you look carefully, you'll see that God gave Adam work before the fall. God told him not only to, 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 to work the garden, you know, blue-collar Um, physical work, but he told him to name the animals, categorize. That's what scientists do, white-collar work. Okay. God told Adam to work before the fall. The the, the only thing that changed after the fall is that his work became more frustrating. Who can say amen to that? (laughs) Unfortunately, our work is not as rewarding as it could have been if the fall had not happened. Unfortunately, our work is more frustrating than, it, than God intended it initially to be. That, that is a reality. But God still wants us to work. Part of the reason why God sent you to the city is to work. You'd, so often we as Christians fall into one of two extremes when it comes to work. We either work to live, like your work is just something you tolerate... So that you can make enough money to to survive and live, or we live to work, where our work we become workaholics and our work is everything, and it becomes an idol in our lives. And both of those extremes are wrong. God wants you. Now, notice that it's that it says God, God commands them. It says, "This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says." And then He gives a command: Build houses. Obey me in this. Work, plant gardens, and eat from them. Eat the produce. Work. In other words, work is a command from God, and when you work, you're being obedient to God. Have you thought about that? When God says, I mean, we often think about the, the Sabbath law um, as focusing on the seventh day, and, and, it, and it does. But, you know, but it doesn't just say rest on the seventh day. It says six days you shall work. It's a command to work six days and a command to rest one day. Work is a command from God. God commands us to work and if we want to prosper, if we want to flourish, we need to work as if God sent us to the city to work here. Your work is not just something you do so you can fulfill your calling. Your work is your calling. At least part of your calling. Not all of it. Obviously making disciples is also... But the actual work that you do, you're doing good in the city. If you're a teacher, you're helping children. If you are... um, a lawyer you're helping to apply the law, hopefully. You know? If you <laughs> hopefully you're not helping people trying to help people to to avoid the law and avoid accountability. There are lawyers who do that as well. But there's you know, any legitimate work you can do in obedience to God. And that, that should be part of our prosperity. And then he says marry. Have children. You know, it's start families. Part of the, the prospering life in the city is that you become part of a family. And, and, and that's on two levels. It, it could be a biological family where you literally get married and have children, biological children, and raise them up in the ways of the Lord so they can do the same and also get married and have children. Or it can be part of God's spiritual family. You know, or, or both. You know, we, we, we're always part of both. So um, if you're single, you have the privilege of having the focus more on the spiritual family. And that is a privilege. Because you make, can make my, my, much of the, the, the spiritual family. But when you're married, your physical family also points to God's spiritual family, the ultimate family. So, so both are a, are a privilege. But, but notice that the prospering life includes covenant relationship. That's what marriage is. Making long-term covenant relationships. It's so easy to miss that in the city. And just not have time for relationships. So, so all of those things, if you try and make a constructive difference and you build, if you work hard, if you um, get into healthy long-term relationships, all of that will help you grow. There's growth that God can accomplish in your life through the work that you do and through the relationship, the marriage or whatever you're in, that he cannot through other spiritual disciplines. Right? There's a redeeming element, for instance, to work. You know, It takes discipline. So the Holy Spirit will often use the work that you do to develop the, the fruit of, of self-control and discipline in your life. Um, and then just notice that all of these things, you can either do them, out of selfish, sinful motives, or you can do them out of obedience to God and, and, and as worship. You can say, God commands me to build, God commands me to plant, God commands me to marry, you know, to start to be part of a family. So I can, I can either do these things, can either be, become distractions and idols, whether it's your family or your work. You know, idols are not just bad things, right? Idols can be good things that become ultimate things, good things that become more important than God. So even though family and work are good things, if you make them more important than God, you make them an idol. Okay? So they can be that. Or you can do all of those things in obedience to God in order to honor God as worship to God. So everything that you do, here's, here's the catch, everything that you do can either be idolatry or worship. Worship to a false god? Yourself, or mammon or whatever other false god or worship to the true God. And, and that's, that's quite a powerful thought if you think about it. We must go into the world and show the world how we can do everything that we do, our family life, our work life, our friendships, church life, everything as both witness and worship. For the glory of God and for the benefit of the city. I think it's, it's quite exciting to think about it in this way. And if you do that, if you do it, everything that you do as witness and worship, worship to God and witness to the city, you will grow through it. God will make it work for your good and, and uh, for your growth. And then just notice that, that all of these things... Um, in a sense, are communal things. When when God says, I know the plans I have for you, in English we we sort of wonder, is it singular or plural, you? But in in, in the Hebrew, it's plural. All of them are plural. You know, all of these things are things that you do with people, among people, for people even, in many ways. In other words, part of the prospering life in the city is a communal life. It's, It's a life that is part of community, part of, by, uh, part of family, part of, of church. I mean, even in the beginning, in, in the first verse, it talks about um, the priests, the prophets, the people. In other words, there's a spiritual community that God um, sent into exile and that God still wants them to be part of. He, he recognizes them. He doesn't just say the people in general. He he, he speaks about the priests, the prophets, the people. Um, And in other words, there's a spiritual community that God wants us to be part of. Family community, a a, a biological family, but also a spiritual family. Um, It's interesting that, uh, and I think Andre in, in, in future sessions will say a bit more about this, but initially in Israel, they only had the temple. That was the only place. Legitimate and official place of meeting. But when they were taken from Israel, they no longer had the temple. They were taken to Babylon. There was no temple. There was no place to make sacrifices because the temple was the only legitimate place to make sacrifices and where the word was read and they had to do pilgrimages to the temple and so on. And so they started synagogues in Babylon. That's where synagogues started. That's where it comes from because they said we must still meet. And sometimes it feels like in the city it's more difficult to meet, like it was for the Israelites when they were sent to Babylon. But God wants us to meet. And the word synagogue literally means to gather um, together. Okay. So the prospering life, if you want to prosper in the city, you must have a a balanced life that lives all of life in obedience to God, not just the so-called spiritual part of your life, because it recognizes that all of life is spiritual. Secondly, um, the pro- uh, if, if you want to prosper in the city, uh, you, you must live a planned life, okay? And, and there's a bit of a there's a bit of a tension here, you know, that, that you sort of can pick up a little subtly, you know, in the text, because God very explicitly says, "I know the plans that I have for you." But he, uh, and, and, and his plan is, amongst others, that you're going to stay for 70 years in the city. You're going to stay in the city longer than than you thought you were. But it's very clear that they had plans for themselves. And their plan was to stay in the city a bit, not, not quite as long, you know. Two years maximum. Some of you, you know. You, are, <laughs> you have those same plans, you know. You thought you only came to the city for two years. The Lord is speaking to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it even says that we try and co-opt God into our plans. It says, um, let, let, me just, let me just read that to you so you can, you can see it in the text. Um, in verse um, verse 8. He says, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. You're encouraging them to say that, God, that I say that you're only going to stay in the city for less than two years. And that very quick, quick, you know, God's going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar and take you back to Jerusalem. You're encouraged because you have certain plans for yourself. And your plans don't quite line up with my plans for you. Your plans for you don't line up with my plans for you. You see, we all have that choice. Are we going to trust ourselves more than we trust God, or are we going to trust God more than we trust ourselves? Because if I trust myself more than I trust God, I'm going to try and implement my plans and even find justification to convince myself that God says that my plans are what He plans. Don't look at me like that. I know we all do that. I'm not the only one. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one. Okay? So, we need to... And, and here's one of the bedrock tips or secrets for growth in the city, in the Christian life. And, and by the way, it's, it's true whether you're in the city or not. You need to trust God. You need to trust his promises and his plans more than your own. And when his pl- uh, plans um, differ from your for, for you differ for, from your plans for you, then you must let go of your plans and go with his plans because they are the best for you. I know the plans that I have for you. So, so they they, they must be God's plans. And 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 and, and he, he says. Um, Let me just read that as well. He says, um, where is it? Here we go. I will, um, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you um, to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. So, God says that these plans that I have for you are, are, are promised plans. You know, I commit myself not to the plans that you have for you, but to the plans that I have for you. You see, God cannot break a promise. God cannot lie. You know, there's this old saying, you know, um, my shirt is navy. If God were to look at me and say, "Henny, shirt is red... It wouldn't be a, a lie because as soon as God says it's red, it would be red. <laughs> you know, I often, often uh, you know, jokingly say, you know, I, I can imagine, you know, sort of in my overactive imagination how the Father and the Son sit in heaven and say, let's play the lying game. <laughs> you know, any shit is red. Oh, you know, there it is red. It wasn't a lie after all. You know, <laughs> God literally cannot lie because his speech is creative. When God says something, it is so. Okay? And, and God cannot fail, and therefore His promises cannot fail. When God says something is going to happen, when God promises something, it's guaranteed. And, and God's plans are promised. Your plans are not. God's plans are guaranteed. Your plans are not. God's plans are certain. Your plans are not. Um, but we need to trust Him. And, 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 and here's the, the thing I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. God's plans for you are so much better than the plans you have for yourself. So much better. Because God knows you. And, you know, even God's plans are are bigger than your mistakes. Because because some of you are sitting here and you're thinking... You know, I've made so many mistakes. I've failed so many times. I've let God down. Well, guess what? God, Israel let God down. The the very reason they were in exile was because they let God down. And God says, the fact that you sinned against me, that you've been letting me down for years, does not change the fact that my plans for you are good plans, plans to prosper you. So for some of you sitting here, you're sitting here with, with guilt and shame, and you're saying, Okay, Annie. That's all good and well for the good little Christian boys and girls who do obey God in everything. And God is speaking to a people who explicitly and repeatedly have not obeyed Him. And He says, "My plans for you are still good." Don't sit here and think you have to deserve God's good plans for you. You don't. God's plans for you are good, no matter how many, how much times you failed Him, no matter with how much shame or guilt you're sitting. So I just want you to close your eyes right there where you are now. And I want you to pray and and say, God, thank you that you still have good plans for me, even though I let you down. Thank you that you still want to prosper me and not harm me. You should should want to harm me, but thank you that you still want to prosper me. And then just take those things that are causing the guilt and the shame and bring them before the Lord and say, Lord, I repent of them. Please forgive me. Now, um, notice also God says, I know the plans I have for you. See, God's plans are known plans. You know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a degree of certainty to God's plans. Even though we don't know God's plans for us, God knows God's plans for us. Okay? We don't even know our plans for ourselves. We can't. We cannot know the future. God knows. And God, you know, there's a a degree of peace. It, It talks about praying for the peace of the city. And then it says, because in its peace you also have peace. God wants us to have peace. Shalom. But that can only be there if we base our lives on God's plans for us. And guess what? Unless you read the Bible, unless you take Scripture and read it constantly, regularly, and hear what God's plans are for you and put your trust in God's plans for you, you're going to default to your plans for yourself, the unknown, uncertain plans. And you're not going to have peace. And if you stubbornly insist on clinging to the plans you have for yourself at the expense of God's plan, you're going to have frustration like the Israelites had. So I want to encourage you, God knows His his plans that He has for you. Embrace those plans, and and embrace the certainty and the peace that comes with that. And and, and then He also says, it's, it's good plans, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you. You know, so often we're tempted to think that God wants to harm us, because we think... That if we were in God's place, <laughs> we would want to arm whoever does what we do. You know, if, if someone is, is that, you know, disobedient or naughty or, or um, you know, sinful or whatever, you know, we, we think we are. You know, if, if, if we were in God's place, we would want to smite a few more people, you know. <laughs> smite left, right, and center, you know. <laughs> but you see, God is not like that. God is a just judge and, and a strict father. And, and He is strictly disciplining Israel. I mean, the, the fact that they sent into exile into Babylon, that's strict discipline. That's quite severe discipline. But Even when God disciplines us very strictly and severely, he still loves us and still wants us to prosper. In fact, the very reason why he disciplines us strictly is so that we can prosper. Now, notice it says, uh, or it's translated, um, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a, a hope and a future. Then... Notice in the beginning of verse 12, it says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And I I must say, I think it's a very unfortunate translation. The word there, translated then, can be translated then, or it can just be translated and. And and I think in this case, it's quite clear that it should, at least in my opinion, be and. Because it's not like God is saying, okay, after 70 years of being in exile, then when you come and pray to me, I will hear you. Then I will start implementing my plans to prosper you. I mean, he even tells them, while you're in Babylon, pray for the city. Because I want to prosper the city, and I want to prosper you by prospering the city. So his good plans don't start once they leave Babylon. It starts in Babylon. So that's, in my opinion, a bad translation. It shouldn't be then you'll come to me and pray to me. It should be and you'll come to me and pray to me. While you're in the city. Because my good plans for you start now. Here's the thing. I want you to really get this. Unless you are certain and convinced that God loves you. He wants to prosper you. He wants to bless you. Not harm you. He has good things for you. A hope and a future. Unless you are convinced of that. You're not going to seek Him. You're not going to live for Him in the city. You're not going to prosper in the city. You must... Approach God as though, I mean, when, so, when you come to someone, you come to their house, and, and you're not certain how they feel about you, you sort of think maybe they're angry at me, maybe there's some passive-aggressive thing there, you know. Then you're not going to, you're sort of not going to, you know, lean in and hug them and smile and be all happy to see them because you might think, okay, they're going to give me a clop or something <laughs> instead of a hug, you know. But when you know that they are happy to see you, when, when they open the door, there's going to be a big smile on their face. And they're going to be like, yes, I'm so glad you came. Come here, you know, let me give you a bear hug or something. you know." Then you're going to be much more, you're going to lean in to that relationship. Now, so often we, we treat God as though he's someone who doesn't really want to spend time with us. None of your spiritual, the spiritual growth that God wants for you while you're in the city, none of the prospering that he wants for you will come to pass if you, have, if you think that about God, if you think that he's a grumpy old man who's not really, who doesn't really want to spend time with you or see you or bless you. God is very, in Christ, God is very positively disposed towards us. Yes, we know that we are sinful and that God should be angry at us, but... He's very gracious to us. And he has made a way through which he can love us and bless us and um, do what's best for us even though, we, even though we, you know, to be fair and to be strictly just, he should be harming us. He made a way to do that. And, and that way is, is, of course, through Jesus. He says, you'll come and you'll come to me and pray to me and I will hear you. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There's only one person who has ever really done that. And ironically, that is the one person when he sought God, God rejected him. When he came to God and prayed to God and said, he had to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only person who has ever really, truly sought God wholeheartedly was Jesus. And Jesus went, he had to forego all the benefits of seeking God wholeheartedly, so that we could experience the benefits of seeking God wholeheartedly, even though we don't always seek God wholeheartedly. See, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. You know, and, and then he also says, uh, you know, I've, I've, I want, I want to give you hope. You know, plans to give you hope and a future. You see. Many of you are sitting here and you're despondent and, and you're a bit hopeless. God God's plans for you are not just for now. It it might not always be what's most comfortable now. You know what we'd would, would be most comfortable for the Israelites would have been to to go back to Jerusalem. You know, God's plans are not for their comfort. They're going to stay in in, in Babylon for seventy years, but it's to give them hope. God plans to to give them hope and a, and a future not just good plans for now. Um, Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, In in their heart humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So this scripture is not saying that you mustn't make plans, but just saying that when your plans you know, come into you, you know, conflict with God's plans, then choose God's plans above your plans. And, and God's plans will you know, come to pass in any case. Okay, then, uh, finally, um, the, you know, if you want to prosper in the city, it mustn't just be a, a balanced life and a, and a planned life, but it must be a seeking life. And, and notice he mentions seek twice in, in this passage. He says seek the peace of the city. There's a, and I don't want to focus on that too much because we spoke about that last time. But there's a horizontal seeking. And then he says, you will seek me and find me, God when you seek me with all your heart. So there's a vertical seeking. So there's a horizontal seeking, seeking the peace, the shalom. And notice it translates it, peace and prosperity, because the Hebrew shalom, you cannot just translate with one English word. It doesn't work. Just just peace is not enough. It's peace and prosperity. But there's a horizontal seeking, the benefit of others. But there's, there's also a vertical seeking after God. Now, that doesn't mean that God is hiding from us. But it does mean number 1 in our sinful fallen state, it's often difficult for us to connect with God and it, and we actually have to seek him. It doesn't come as naturally as God designed us before the fall to experience relationship with him. Relationship should have been very natural, but it's not because we are fallen. Okay, and therefore we have to see God, and also we have to see God because in our fallen state we're not so aware of God. You remember this—the story of Jacob, you know, fleeing from his brother Esau, and going to his um, uncle Laban, and sleeping in the place that became Bethel on a rock. And then he saw this vision of a stairway to heaven, okay, with the angels ascending and descending. And then the next morning he wakes up and he says something very interesting. He says. The Lord is here, and I wasn't aware of it. Isn't it amazing that God, who is so big, that He overflows creation, can be missed by us as people? He's everywhere. And yet, sometimes, we, because of our fallen state, we have to seek Him. Okay? So sometimes we're like Jacob, and we, we, we're like, oh, you know, I forgot God is here. I found Him. No, actually, he was here all along. You know, we, we just... It feels like we, we sought him and found him, but, but actually was here all along. Um, and not only in our fallen state individually, but also corporately, the city you know, brings together fallen humanity in a way that often obscures God from our vision, and we have to seek him. More so than often in other places, we have to seek him in order to find him and to experience him. It's easier to miss him in the city and and the seeking, uh, like I said, is not that God's playing hide and seek with us or hard to get with us, but he is wanting us to intentionally pursue him and intentionally draw near to him and and that that means that we need to seek him, press in in other words, part of your the, the life that prospers and not just in the city but everywhere, is a life that's not only just balanced and doing everything as witness and worship to God, not just a life that is planned and and, and where your plans are submitted to God's plans, but it's it's a life that, that seeks the benefit of others and seeks above all God Himself, where you put out time to press into God's presence to draw near to God, to intentionally experience him. You will not prosper in the city unless you do that. He mentions a few tools that that he gives us. um, In in verse 19 he says, you know, the Israelites back home and the Israelites in exile haven't listened to me. And, And the clear implication of that is one of the first ways to grow spiritually and to see God is to listen to his word. Listen to him. Listen to his word. But it also means that you need the discernment to know when it's God speaking to you or when someone is, is, um, someone else is actually twisting God's word, like the false prophets and the diviners were doing with, uh, with, with, with the Israelites. But, but there needs to be a listening to God and when God speaks, a responsiveness to God. I like what A.W. Tozer said in, in The Pursuit of God. By the way, I recommend that book. You can get it for free on the internet, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Uh, it's one of those good books that I believe that every Christian must read. And I'm, I can, I can almost guarantee you, if you read it once, you're going to want to read it again. You know, So get yourself The, the Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. But he says, The saints of old differ from the average person in that when they felt the inward longing they did something about it. They acquired a lifelong habit of spiritual response. And when you know that God's plans for your good, when you know that God loves you, when you know that God has made a, made a way for you to, to come to Him and, and He's drawing you near to you, uh, when you understand that you, you want to develop that lifelong habit of, of a positive, faithful trusting response to god and drawing near to him seeking him that's what seeking him is does that make sense do you have a habit of seeking god of spiritual response um so learning to listen learning to to trust god that he has the best for you but he also mentions twice praying it says pray for the peace of the city don't only listen to God's word and discern when people are twisting God's word like the false prophets were. Um, let me maybe also, yeah, I'll, I'll come to that. But, but also pray to God. So don't just allow God to speak to you and discern when he's speaking to you and respond when he's speaking to you. But speak to God. God. Pray to Him. Speak to God about the people around you, about the city. Pray for the peace of the city. Don't just pray for yourself. One of the best things you can do for your prayer life is to not just pray for yourself. Hello? I mean, it's so easy for us to come to God with a consumer mentality, especially in a city like Joburg, and we come with our little shopping list. God, I want you to do this, and I want you to give that, and I want you to, I want, 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 want. Come to God with a consumer mentality. But pray for the peace of the city. Don't just pray for yourself. Pray for the benefit of others. It'll cause you to pray better for yourself in any case. Okay? But then he also says, pray as part of your seeking me. So there's there's a praying for others and for the city, but there's also a praying to God just as part of your fellowship with God. Just spending time with him, you know. Just enjoying his presence. You know, you'll come to me and Pray to me and I will hear you. You know, there are rich and powerful people who often live in cities. But the richest and most powerful person is God. So much greater than any great other person. Now, we are often very honored you know, and flattered when rich, famous, you know, powerful people pay attention to us. Well, guess what? God's paying attention to you. You should be flattered, and you should use that invitation and that opportunity to spend time in prayer with the most powerful, most influential, greatest being there is. Also, just not only pray, but obey. I already mentioned the building, the, the planting, the marrying. Just doing everything in obedience to To God, Um, (laughs) so often we pray for things that we ought to obey. You know, by all means, ask God to help you obey. But you know, there are certain things prayer cannot accomplish that only obedience can accomplish. Okay, so don't pray for things that you should have that you should just be be obeying. and, and, and once again, I, I mentioned it, that it's together. I just want to show you this, this graph. If you can just bring, bring up that uh, colorful graph. Um, they did a, um, a survey. It, it was in Willow Creek Church in America, which is a, a sort of the church that started the seeker-sensitive movement. And after a few decades of, of leading the church, um, Bill Hybels, commissioned a survey in the church, and there are thousands of people in the church, just surveying and, and, and sort of checking what people's spiritual growth was. And he found that, that a lot of people weren't growing spiritually. Their growth was plateauing. Um, and, and you know, you, you had some people, you know, who were sort of exploring, and they grew, to, they grew a little bit. They went, they hadn't made a Christian commitment. They hadn't been born again yet. So they grew a little bit, but then they stagnated, and they didn't grow. And then often they f- sort of fell away and and. and s- Turned away from the faith entirely. Then you had other people who stayed and, and continued learning and receiving. They, they, they allowed others to feed them. And they continued to grow a bit more. But they would also stagnate after a while. Unless they also started implementing spiritual disciplines. Listening to God. Reading His Word. Praying to Him. fellowshipping with other Christians, like in small group and stuff. Unless they developed those disciplines, they also stagnated. But those who developed those disciplines continue to grow. Okay, and witnessing. And, and, and then, but even they would stagnate unless they also added to that taking responsibility for other people's growth, leadership, initiative. So, if you can just go to the, the next slide, there are sort of three phases or stages. Of, of growth as Christians. The first is where you're fed by others. Just coming to church, just allowing others to minister to you and, and receiving from them causes you to grow on a basic level. And that's good. And here's the trick. The second one is learning to self-feed. Learning to take God's word and feed yourself. Now Now little children like that, initially someone else has to feed them. But eventually If they're healthy children, they grab the spoon and they say, I want to feed myself. I want to do it myself. And that's a good, spiritually, if we're healthy, we'll also have that reflex of, I want to feed myself. Okay? But often people, even people who feed themselves, stop growing because they neglect to be fed then by others. Just because you feed yourself in the kingdom doesn't mean you must stop being fed by others. Some people think, okay, you know, I'll just read my Bible at home. I won't come to church. I won't come to Bible school. I won't receive from anyone else. No, you need to. You never stop being fed by others. You just add to it feeding yourself. Does that make sense? But then you also need to, just the next one, you need to learn. You need to sort of graduate to feeding others. You know, there's a reason why Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. You only really receive fully and more permanently when you also give. Okay? And God often fixes things in your heart, and and we as parents know this. You know, when we teach our children, we are reminded ourselves of what we ought to be doing because we tend to forget, right? So I just want to encourage you with those three phases. Where are you in, in... in that are you in phase one where you're just fed by others? have you started adding to it self-feeding, feeding yourself and, and, and actually when you're, when you're away from Christian events from church or small group or so, you know consuming the word until it consumes you? and one, if you've done that, have you started teaching others to do that? Have you started taking responsibility for other people's growth? We need all of those steps in order to. To grow into spiritual maturity. Okay. I'm going to ask the ushers to, to hand out the elements of, of the communion. Um, and while they're doing it, I want to read a few scriptures to you. Um, in Jeremiah, notice it says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Huh? You will seek me and find me when you search for me, when you seek me with all your heart. Wholehearted seeking after God. But notice what, 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 Paul, what, what Jeremiah means by this. He says in Jeremiah 3, verse 10, In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. In other words, when he says, seek me with all your heart, is don't just pretend to seek me. Really seek me. Really seek me. Okay? That's what he means by it. But then notice what it says in in chapter 24, verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. Who is the one who gives us a heart to return to God with all our hearts? Who is the one? Is it something that we have to conjure up? You see, part of the good news of the gospel is that while God says, Seek me, God gives us both the desire and the ability to seek Him. He gives us that heart that wholeheartedly seeks Him. Isn't that good news? Isn't it great that God is busy working in your heart right now to be such a heart? And then in Jeremiah 32, verse 39 and 40, it says, I will give them singleness of heart and action, so that they will always fear me, and that all will... That all will then go well with them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant. That's the new covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me. In other words, to seek me wholeheartedly. So that they will never turn away from me. Um, that's part of the promise of the new covenant. That's what, part of what Christ died for. Is to give us such a heart. Singleness of heart to fear God, to seek God, to pursue Him. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.